You know, I've been preaching for more than 20, almost 25 years now, and last week I made a rookie mistake. Last week I made a JV move in, in, my, uh, in, in ministering God's word uh, to, to you as the, the church body. I, uh, you gotta be kind of careful what you preach about, what you teach about. Um, if, you're, if you're in ministry and if you aspire to be in ministry, you kind of gotta be aware of those things. And so, you know, I, when you teach on subjects, you gotta be aware that the enemy's gonna try to attack you in those subjects or, or God's gonna reveal things to you within regard to those particular subjects. If you preach on patience, you're gonna be tried in the area of patience. Everybody know what I'm talking about, yes? If you, if you preach on, on um, uh, peace, you're probably gonna have some opportunities to not have some peace, and you're gonna to have to overcome those because you, know, you gotta practice what you preach. Literally, you gotta practice what you preach, right? If you, if you preach on marriage, my wife and I know that we're probably gonna be assaulted in the area of our marriage, and so we just gotta be prepared for that. If you're prepared, you can fight the battle. Everybody know what I'm talking about, yes? If you preach on parenting, you know that's gonna be the week that your children are gonna be little demoniacs. You know what I'm talking about, yes? Uh, because, you know, you're going to be attacked in that particular area. Uh, so last week I preached on overcoming discouragement. Guess what I was attacked in last week? In the air, rookie mistake. Wasn't prepared for it. Didn't expect the assault, didn't expect the attack, but I was attacked in the area of, of, a, of being discouraged. I'm okay. I'm a big boy. Put on my big boy bloomers. I'm okay. But, but I wanted you to know this week I'm super stoked about preaching. You want to know why? Because this week we're talking about what's holding you back and the, 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 the subject matter is your success. So <laughs> if my math is right, that means I was attacked in there of discouragement for preaching about discouragement last week. That means this next week, I'm, come on now, I'm gonna have a week of success. Somebody know what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, yes, it's exciting. When we think of success, we don't think of success as something that you've got to overcome. Success isn't something that we tend to think of as a, a noose or a leash around us that restricts us or holds us back. Instead, we think of overcoming or something that's holding us back as something that we don't want. We think of uh, something holding us back as something that we do not desire to have. We think that we, we overcome failure, and if we overcome failure, then we will find success. But that's not what the story teaches us this morning. We can't take out parts of the story that we like and leave parts of the story that we don't like. And we know what I'm talking about. You take the whole counsel of the word of God. What I want you to know is success can be a weight. It can hold you back. Success can keep you from the dreams that God might have for your life. You see, we can get so caught up in the American dream, so caught up in the, the stuff and the pursuit of, of happiness, none of which is wrong in and of itself, but we get so caught up in the American dream that we can tend to forget about God's dream. And God's dream for us is even better than our dream for ourselves. Can someone say amen? Yes? Because I expect this to be an exciting, invigorating, powerful gathering. If you agree, say amen. Otherwise, you just need to just rest, just rest, just go to sleep. Success can be consuming, can't it? As an entrepreneur, as somebody who's been self-employed most of my whole life, um, it can be consuming. You start thinking about it, and, 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 and it becomes your life. It cannot become your life. The job cannot become your life. You work to live, you don't live to work. We all know what I'm talking about, right? It can be consuming. You might find success from what I get, your, your life was like a pie and there's slices of the pie. You might find success in this slice of your pie, but the rest of this pie, man, it's just, it's melting away. It's, 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 it's being infected by, by something other than success. And so success ends up being the slice that's holding you back because you're giving all your attention to that. A lot of it depends on how you define success. So here's what we're gonna do to begin this, this message today for the next 30 minutes or so that I have. 
I want you to take a minute and try to define, try to define success in your own mind. How would you define the term, so if, if you were to open up Webster's or Actually, if you were to open it up on your laptop or your phone and you were to type in success, I don't want you to do that necessarily, but what would the definition of success be? What would you say the definition of success is? So here's what I want you to do. I'd like you to write it down. You can take an offering envelope in front of you. You can take your Bible. You can take a piece of paper, whatever you write it on your hand. I don't care, but take just a second. And it's going to be one of those awkward moments in church because I really want you to do it, okay? Like, for example, success to me, if I was going to write it down, would be that everybody would write down the definition of success, right? That would be like my definition. That's what I want you to do right now. So take a second and just write down. Just jot it down. If you don't feel like jotting it down, you don't have a pencil or a pen, and you don't feel like pricking your finger and writing blood, if you don't want to do that, then turn to your neighbor maybe and, and tell them, hey, this is what I think success is. And just do that for just a second, and then we're going to, then we're going to kind of move forward in this. So... Uh, should have brought some Jeopardy music and played that while we did this, but what is success to you? What does success mean? It's a good question. You're not going to be wrong. Just what do you think success is? Hmm. Somebody said success. I looked it up a, a, a couple of people's opinions. Somebody said success is being able to do whatever you want to do. And I don't think that was necessarily meaning to be like um, egotistical, but just having the means, the ability to be able to do what you'd like to be able to do. Somebody else said success is maybe reaching a certain point of achievement or status in your life. That would be success. I, I read that somebody else said success is maybe setting a goal and then reaching that goal. So those are some ideas. I guess the bigger question is, is not just how do you define success, but um, what influenced you to define success that way? Oftentimes, we're influenced to define success based upon our upbringing. And if our parents were, were healthy and were good, then success would be, I want to be, I want to be what, what they are. That is the most honoring thing I think we can ever hear as parents. On the other hand, if, you're, if you had a dysfunctional past, which probably most people do, uh, then you probably want to be, I want to be better. My kids would probably say, I want to be better than that. And, I, and that would be a good thing because we want our children to be better. So success could be defined based upon what your definition was, who gave you, how you learned what success would be termed. In the, in the, um, around the world, some people might say success would be owning my own you know, 3,500 square foot home with a pool and a fence and five acres. Somebody else might say, success would be filling my belly at least one time a day with food. See, success is based upon, based upon your, you know, what, what you've got going on in your life. If you study success in history, it can, it's, it's different based upon the, the time and the culture and the place in which you lived. We in the Western world define success differently today than a few generations ago did, don't we? And I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm not saying it's right, it's just reality. So the questions that I have, again, I'll, I'll, I'll put them on the screen for you. And how would you define success? And secondly, what influenced you to define success that way? We're just going to put a peg in those, a pin in those, and we'll come back to those in just a few minutes toward the end of the, end of the gathering. Now, before I share with you the story of Joseph, which if you want to turn to your Bibles, it's in Genesis chapter 41 is where we're going to be hanging out today. I want to remind you of a story that Jesus told in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, about a guy that was a, a wealthy, rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. So um, this guy was, by any definition, successful. He was, well, he was rich. He was influential. He had everybody's ear. When he spoke, people listened to him. He was young, powerful. Jesus tells him, you know, this, first of all, who wouldn't call this guy successful? 
Jesus tells him, here's what I want you to do, because the guy really wants to be a follower of Jesus. And he says, then why don't you go sell everything you have and, and give it to the poor and then come and follow me? Just why don't you go do that? And the Bible says that the guy walked away sad because he was wealthy. Now, now think of it, that doesn't, that's an odd thing to say. He walked away sad because he was rich. We don't think of that like that, do we? The paradigm is different for us. The paradigm for us would say, well, you walk away sad because you're poor. You walk away sad because you're broke, right? You don't walk away sad because you're rich. You don't walk away sad because you're, you're, you're wealthy. But listen, we don't think you uh, walk away sad because you're successful. We think you walk away sad because you're a failure. That's not the paradigm that God wants us to get this morning. I'll tell you, I've never preached on this subject directly. It's always been a sidebar. But this is a direct subject because it's right in line with the story that we're teaching and we're learning about today. Why is this guy so sad when he walks away? Because he had too much. It was too much of a weight on his shoulders that was weighing him. Too much success, too much money, too much power, too much control. And he can't give it up to follow Jesus because he had too much. So success becomes more like a failure than it does a success. Because if you're successful, it isn't, isn't, if it's the wrong kind of success, isn't that just failure wrapped up in a bow? Let me illustrate. 2004. Uh, 2004, there was a guy, you see a picture on the screen, his name is Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons is, a, is a, a, an, an incredible marksman. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a rifle shooter in the Olympics and competes in all these different things. Phenomenal shot. But in 2004, um, in a, he was in a particular rifle division, and he was taking the shot. He was positioned, get this, to get the gold medal. He had gotten the lowest score he'd gotten was a 9.8 in shooting. That, I mean, the guy was amazing. All he had to do in the final round, he had it in the bag. All he had to do was hit the target. It didn't even matter where he hit the target. He could just, just, just tick the target on the side. He just had to just hit the target. That would be, he could do that with his eyes closed. And so he steps up to, well, let me, do we have the video for this one? Let's, let's, let's take a look at the video and take a look and see. Matt's on the right there. Here we go. Just, gotta hit, just hit the target, man. Just hit the target. Hit the, he's like, what the heck, guys? What's going on? What, yeah, what? What? What happened? He's like, I know it. What? What? Yeah, guys, what is going on here? You saw it, didn't you see it? You know I did. Wait, what? What's happening? Yeah. What's, I, I hit the target. I, yeah. I, I hit the shot. I shot it. I hit the target. See, here's the empty shell. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the shot of shooter number two is a zero. It was a cross shot. All right, let me explain to you what happened. He's a marksman. He was taking a shot. All he had to do was hit the target. In order, if he hit the target, all, then he would get the gold medal. In the bag. The problem was he's shooting from lane number two, and he shot the target dead center every time in lane number three. You would think the crowd would respond like you, just like you. No way. The guy deserves to get this gold medal. I mean, it was an accident. It was an oversight. He was shooting at the wrong target, and he hit it in the bullseye. All he had to do was hit the target, and he would have won. But the rules say... It's a zero. He went from gold medalist 
to eighth place, didn't even finish with a medal at all in the 2004 Olympics. He learned his lesson, of course, came back four years later and landed the gold medal. But I'm here to tell you that I think that is an incredible metaphor for our lives. You see, um, he was, when he was standing and, and it bumped him, when he's standing in one lane, he shot in another lane. That's how our lives can end up looking. We take aim, we shoot, it looks good, but then we look at the score and, and we get a big fat zero. And we're wondering what in the world's going on. The problem is we're aiming at the wrong, we're aiming at the wrong target. So what we want to do today is we want to look at the life at life through the lens of Joseph in the Old Testament and to look through the lens of success that he has and see um, how he handles success and how he handles it in a way that honors God. Because what we tend to do is when we become successful, we tend to take credit. We tend to own that. And that's just the opposite of what we're going to learn from Joseph today. Now, in, in Genesis chapter 39 is where we started this series. Let me just kind of recap. If you remember, Joseph was born. He had 10 older brothers. There is half-brothers. And he had mom and dad. Well, mom and dad had a, another child, a younger child, uh, after him when he was 10 years old. His, his younger brother's name is Benjamin. And Joseph's mom, Rebecca, dies in childbirth. He had a special relationship with his mom. And when she died in childbirth, it hurt him. She was his encourager. She was his, his mother, and, and she had died. So he grew up without the support of a mom. His older brothers hated him. I mean, he was battered and abused by these guys because he was his dad's favorite. And so they, uh, they um, tormented him and tortured him for seven years. And finally, they had had enough. So his older brothers throw him into a deep well, an empty cistern, and they sell him into slavery. He's dealing with all kinds of of hurt. And then in week number two, after we, and of course, he had to overcome that hurt. In week number two, we talked about how he was uh, sold eventually as a slave into a house by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar um, ended up promoting him and putting him second in charge of his entire household and all of the servants and all of the, the, the crops and all of the farming and everything that took place there. Well, Potiphar's wife found a, took a liking to him. So now Joseph is being faced with temptation. Here he is, a 17, 18-year-old, 19-year-old young man. Um, he's attracted to women. He looks, looks at, she looks at him lustfully, and he's got to make a decision. How am I going to handle this temptation? And so what he does is he, does, he uses wisdom. She persists and he resists. She persists and he resists. He ends up trying to say, I'm never going to be alone with her. So he tried, which is, by the way, some good counsel for some of you all out there, right? If you have temptation, don't be alone with somebody. Make a policy in your life. Uh, put some standards, some, some, uh, lift up a standard against the enemy in your life. So, and so she continues to persist, and he resists. So she finally yells out, you know, sexual assault, yells out rape, accuses him of it. So, uh, you know, he, he avoided the temptation, but now he's entered into a whole different realm called discouragement. And he finds himself in this dungeon, but he works really hard. He keeps, keeps his faith in God. He works really hard, and he's promoted within the dungeon system. And he ends up becoming a, a um, helper, a servant, if you will, to two prisoners that were put in the prison. And those two prisoners were two of the king's high-ranking officials, two of Pharaoh's, who's also the king, same thing, high-ranking officials. Uh, one was called the baker, and one's the cupbearer. And he, he notices one morning that they're not doing so good. What's up, fellas? And they say, well, we had dreams. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what the dreams mean. He interprets the dreams for them. 
tells the baker he's going to die and tells the cupbearer he's going to be vindicated and going to be released from prison both in three days. Both of the dreams come fully true. So Joseph is faithful even in the midst of all of this discouragement. But then something happens in Genesis chapter 40, verse number 23. Uh, the chief cupbearer, who Joseph simply said, now that I've told you you're going to be reinstated into your position, remember me. Well, it says that he did not remember Joseph. He forgot about him. So now Joseph is dealing with incredible discouragement. Dang, Joseph, that was like your one chance. You see, the only person in the entire world is Pharaoh. The only person in the world that can get you out of this dungeon is Pharaoh. There's only one person that can give you a pardon, and that is Pharaoh. And you had your opportunity, you had your degree of opportunity there between the cupbearer and you, and if the cupbearer would have just simply said something, at least you'd had a chance, a chance at getting out of this dungeon. But now you have no chance whatsoever. And so the days go by, the months go by, the years go by. And then we read in Genesis 41, verse number one, very next verse, when two full years had passed. Now we're gonna stop there for just a second because I want you to understand something powerful is fixing to happen in Joseph's life. Something amazing is gonna happen. A miracle is gonna take place in Joseph's life. But don't you dare gloss over this because Joseph had no idea the miracle was coming. <laughs> Joseph had no, when he woke up that morning, he didn't think that morning was gonna be any different than the previous mornings that he had had. Put yourself in the story. Joseph had felt, put your name instead of Joseph. Joseph had felt forgotten about. You know, what do, what do inmates do? I served all, quite a while in, in uh, prison ministries. Uh, they, they keep, they don't have much, they've got time. They've got lots of time. So keep track, right? You kind of keep track of how many days you've been in. That seems to be a common denominator. Joseph would have etched on the wall tally marks for every day he had been in. 4,745 of them would have gone by at this point. That's a lot of tally marks on the wall. That's how long Joseph had been in prison for something he did not do, an accusation that was placed against him. He's, he didn't even deserve to be a slave because he wasn't a slave. His brothers had sold him into this, into this life. And, and things are pretty bad for him, and he had been forgotten about. Understand this. You spent several years in prison, and then you've got a chance to be freed, and it doesn't happen. Two more years in the prison have now passed by, and you know, had someone told Joseph two years ago, Listen, I'm a prophet of God. Joseph, I stand before you and tell you in two years, you'll be released from this prison cell. Your life is gonna be vindicated. In fact, so much so, you're gonna be put as, you're gonna be the highest ranking official other than the king in the whole land of Egypt. That's what's gonna happen to you. Don't you think that if, if Joseph heard that message, his, he would have held his head a little higher? He would have puffed his chest out a little more pride? Maybe smiled a whole lot more. I can do, endure anything for two years if I know that's on the other side. Joseph didn't know. Wouldn't it have been great if God, when he gave him the dreams way back when Joseph was 17 years old, if God would have said, yeah, these dreams are for you, Joseph, just so you know, FYI, you're not gonna experience the fruition of these dreams until you're 30. So for about 13 years, it's gonna get kind of messy. But then after 13 years, life's gonna turn on a dime and you're gonna be doing amazingly well. If God would have said that to him, don't you think Joseph could have handled it a whole lot better? God would say that to you, don't you think you can handle it a whole lot better? Some of you are already on the other side of something. Trust me, in your life, you might be on the other side of something now, but there's something else you're gonna have to face later. It's just the way life is. And so you, 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 we gotta get this. God did not tell Joseph, and God may not tell you either, 
And there's so many people searching for somebody to tell them, I know that, I was. God may not tell you. You may actually have to ignite your faith and trust that God is in control. And that's what happened. That's what happened with, with Joseph. So Pharaoh, so let me just kind of kind of move forward just a little bit. Um, after two years, Pharaoh has this dream. In fact, he has a double feature of dreams in one night. He dreams two different dreams, and they are crazy, weird, freaky dreams. You can read about them in here, but I'm gonna fast forward for time's sake. Um, and he, he has these weird dreams, and they're so strange that he knows they must mean something. You ever had a strange dream, and then you had a strange dream, and that strange dream, you know, God, it's gotta mean something, right? It wasn't the pizza I had last night. It has to mean something. There's got to be some meaning to it. In this case, and Pharaoh did like you would do. Pharaoh wants to know the answer to the question, why, what does this dream mean that I just had? So Pharaoh, he gets up in the morning and he Googles it. He's like, what does the dream mean about the weird things? that he Kind of. He doesn't Google it in our current way, but he Googles it in his way. And so the Bible says he gathers all of the magicians and all of the, uh, um, uh, the, the wise people. You gotta remember, in Egypt at that time, there were thousands of lowercase g gods. Thousands of gods. So he gathers all these people in one great big room, and he tells them the dreams, and he says, I want you to tell me what they mean. So all these magicians and wise people start summoning their lowercase g gods, and, uh, you know, ooga booga, ooga booga, and they're trying to figure out what in the world these dreams mean. And the reality is, nobody can tell Pharaoh, nobody can tell the king what these dreams mean. And all along, while this is going on, standing on the right hand side of Pharaoh is one of his high officials, and he is the cupbearer. It's now been two years since the cupbearer told Joseph his weird dream. Joseph gave him an interpretation, and then he got out of the prison. And he's thinking all along, wow. This really feels familiar to me. I'm thinking, you think, right? And so the cupbearer then tells Pharaoh, the king, you know what, when I was in prison a couple of years ago, there was this dude, his name was Joseph, and in fact, the Bible tells us, well, let's read about it in Genesis chapter 41, verse number nine. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. <laughs> Can you find the humor in that verse? Well, today I remembered something that shucks. I forgot a long time ago. And so here we are, and the cupbearer tells Pharaoh this, and, and, and he tells Pharaoh about Joseph's ability to interpret dreams. So then, chapter 41, verse number 14, look at what it says. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh, and in an instant, things had changed. For Joseph. In that short of a period of time, things turned around for Joseph. For 13 years, he had waited and waited and waited and waited and waited some more. He had been faithful. It didn't make any sense. It's not how things should have gone. And then, just like that, everything's different. I don't know if you've experienced that before in your life. Just like that, everything's different. Joseph woke up that morning expecting to put another tally mark on the wall. The 4,746 would never come. Why? Because on that particular day, on God's calendar, there was a big old circle with the name Joseph next to it. See, God had already known from the very beginning that that was gonna be the day that Joseph was going to be vindicated, that Joseph was gonna be released, that he would experience his miracle. God sees the beginning from the end. Can someone say amen? Yeah, so Joseph, Joseph cleans up. And he stands before Pharaoh, and, Joseph, and Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams. 
And immediately Joseph knows what the king's dreams mean. He knows he has got the interpretation that hundreds and hundreds of wise people and, and uh, you know, um, counselors for the king couldn't tell him. Hit the pause button on the story for a minute. I read this story, and sometimes I read the Bible. Well, that's good, right? Okay, I get you. I'm going for speed reading, you know what I'm saying? Don't speed read this for a second. Let me just suggest to you that it's a good thing that it's not Troy instead of Joseph in this situation. Because had I known, had I been there, I inserted myself in the story, and this is how I read it, and just forgive me for my twisted brain, but if I would have known that I was the only person in the whole land that had the information the king wanted, I just might leverage that. I just might say, well, wait a, wait a minute here, King. I, I know the answer to the question. But before we go there, I got a few things I want to talk to you about. Can we, have a, can we have a conversation for a second, oh, King, oh, Pharaoh? Because I, I, 13 years, I might be a little jaded in jail for something that I did not. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I didn't deserve that addiction. I didn't deserve that, that, that problem. I didn't deserve that, that abuse. I didn't deserve that. You follow what I'm talking about? I didn't deserve to be treated that way. <laughs> in my mind, Joseph has some leverage. And uh, so in my mind, Joseph has an opportunity to take a few steps forward. Now, he was taken out of the dungeon, change of clothes, shave, shower, all that kind of stuff, because he had to stand before the king. But he was never told he was released, released. He's just standing there waiting for it to see what's going to happen. I might have, you know, this is how it would have gone down if I was him. I would have been, yeah, you know, King, I, I, uh, there's some business I'll take care of before I tell you the answer. And so I've got 10 brothers. They're stepbrothers, actually. I'm not a fan of those stepbrothers. I would like you to rally up those 10 stepbrothers and throw them in the dungeon. Would you do that for me, please, O King? Would you do that? While you're at it, O King, stop by Potiphar's home. Because there's a little woman that's staying there that she's a little Jezebel is what she is. I want you to pick up little Potiphar's wife and throw her in the dungeon too. Would you, you do that for me as well? One more thing before we go. The dude standing on your right-hand side, that cupbearer. Yeah, you, Mr. Cupbearer, right there. <laughs> You're going to the dungeon too because you, got, you, you should have told him two years ago. That's probably Troy. And then I would end, by the way, O King, I need your debit card and your pen. That's what I need. That's what I need because I need to be paid for this 13 years that I've spent in prison, that I've spent in slavery and in bondage because I didn't do anything to deserve this. Maybe you would feel that way too. Maybe you, I think that's kind of, maybe I'm the only one, but I think that's kind of humanity and how we might feel. We think that in order to be successful, get listen now, when there's an opportunity um, to be successful, you have to leverage what you know, you have to leverage who you know, and you have to leverage your position. And if you'll do those things, that's how you'll get success. Guys, that is not what Joseph did. In fact, the way Joseph found success is, get this, it's one word, serving. Through serving, he became a servant. Wherever he was at, that's what he did. He served faithfully. Sure, he took advantage of opportunities that God opened up doors, uh, like when God summoned him, the Pharaoh summoned him. He didn't stay in the jail and say, nope, no thanks, I'm good, I'm right here, I'm comfortable, I got a tally mark, I got to draw on the wall. He took opportunities, um, he took those seriously, but then he left the rest up to God. Verse 25 in chapter 41. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then Joseph goes on, and for time's sake, let me just summarize. Joseph goes on and, and tells the Pharaoh what his two dreams mean. They're actually two dreams that mean the same thing. 
Basically, in a nutshell, for seven years, you're gonna have seven years of plenty. There's gonna be a bountiful harvest that's gonna be, you're gonna be able to have all kinds of prosperity that's gonna take place for seven years, and then there's gonna be a line in the sand, and then immediately following that seven years, there's gonna be seven years of terrible famine. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going to perish and are going to die. So that's what Joseph tells the king. And the king is listening to this, but Joseph has an opportunity to stop right there. And it's just, okay, I told you what you wanted to know. Now it's time to get paid. He could have stopped right there and said, now it's time for me to hear what you have to offer me, O king. But that's not what he did. Instead, what Joseph does is he does something super risky. Do you want to know what he does? Here's what he does. He goes on when the king didn't ask him to go on. The king just said, what do the dreams mean? So, so Joseph tells him what the dreams mean, but then he tells him even more. I want to read from the New Living Translation for these next verses. So verse number 33 and beyond. Therefore, uh, this is Joseph talking to the king, to Pharaoh. Therefore, Pharaoh should, whoa, wait a minute. First of all, I didn't ask you for a therefore. I am the king, Joseph, and you are a con. You're not even an ex-con yet because I didn't fully release you yet. And you're telling me what I should do? I'm the king of Egypt. How dare you give me any counsel unless I ask it of you? See, that could have been the response. But so what's happening here is Joseph is risking everything. Why? Because Joseph trusts God. Because Joseph knows that when he interpreted this dream, seven years are good, seven years are bad. If the king doesn't do anything about this, that thousands of people are going to die and it's going to be a painful death, starvation. So what he's doing is he's doing all he can and then he's gonna leave the rest up to God. And I love this. Sometimes doing all you can can be risky. The Pharaoh should find an intelligent, I don't know where you're gonna get one of those, you should find an intelligent person. You should find a wise person, somebody who might maybe interpret dreams. I don't know, just throwing that out there at you, Pharaoh. Um, and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then you should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven years of good. And then have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come on the land of Egypt. Otherwise, the famine will destroy the land. So he gives him this counsel and at the same time, he's kind of sort of raising his hand, asking if he can get the position, right? He's kind of letting Pharaoh know, I could do this for you. Now, first of all, it's kind of courageous of him to do that. But second of all, it would be ridiculous for the king to choose Joseph to do this. Why? Well, that would be like the president choosing a vice president that is, from a, uh, that, that is not uh, an American citizen. It just doesn't even make sense. You, you, you know what I'm saying? You, you gotta, it, it, he, Joseph is a Hebrew, and he is in the land of Egypt. Why would in the world would he appoint you to be the, the number two guy? I mean, you're over everything in, in the country. Why would he do that? He's a slave. Why would he hire us? He's a, he's a, you got out of prison six hours ago, boy, and you're, you're wanting the position of number two in the land? That doesn't even make sense. Your resume is not worthy of this position, but that's exactly what God does because he chooses people that are not qualified on paper. He chooses people that don't have the right credentials. Why? Because he's God and we are not. God can take anybody to do whatever he wants, wherever he wants to do it. And he can use you in any way he wants to if you will avail yourself to God. 
So God uses Pharaoh, the king, to, to, to select Joseph to accomplish his purpose. And then in verse number 40, we read this, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger. A signet ring is a ring that you dip into wax and you seal the scroll, you seal the message with it so that when it's open, you know that the king is the one who wrote this edict, who wrote this demand, this request, and everything on it automatically becomes law. You have to do it. And now Joseph has the ring. So whatever he says, he gets to seal it with the king's signet ring. This is a big deal. And he, and he puts on, on Joseph's figure, he dresses him in robes. We're talking about cool threads. We're talking about nice clothes. And then he puts a gold chain around his neck. Let me tell you, everything has changed for Joseph. Just like that. Same day, everything changed. <laughs> the question is, does Joseph change? The question is, is success going to change Joseph? Oh, that's a great question, Troy. Is he going to get caught up in the American, excuse me, in the Egyptian dream? Or is he going to stay focused on God's dream for his life? Is success going to become a barrier that's going to keep him from being all that God designed him to be? So there are two things that I want to share with you in the last 10 minutes or so that we have here together today. Two things that I noticed about this story. The first thing is simply this. If you're going to overcome success, it means you have to recognize God's hand in your life. See, overcome success means success can hold you back. And if you're going to overcome that, you've got to recognize God's hand. Joseph sees that the success he's experiencing is because of God's hand in his life. It's because of God's goodness and God's grace. Because in this moment, in this moment, when Pharaoh asked Joseph, can you interpret my dreams, boy? Joseph's response is this, I can't do it. I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And do you know what I know? Joseph already knew the answer. But he was gonna give God the glory. God the honor and God the credit. You cannot go wrong by redirecting all honor to the Lord. If you retain that, you know what's gonna happen? God is going to withdraw from you. If you choose to get the credit, the glory, and the honor, God's not gonna stay close to you like he would otherwise. It's an awesome example for all of us. Joseph gets an opportunity, finally, after 13 years, to get a little recognition, man, right? Finally, I'm going to get a little tension. It's been lonely down here in this dungeon. Now all eyes are on me. Everybody's looking at me. This feels pretty good to have everybody look at me. But his response is not a response of, this is nice. The response is, I can't, God can. I didn't, God did. You follow? That should be our response as well. I'm not in no way intend to boast, but I don't know of a single time where someone's come up to me and said, Troy, what a great message. Really, really, Nia is great. But I didn't say, praise God. See, your response should be praise God. Glory to God. God orchestrates it. 
we don't orchestrate it. You don't deserve the credit. I deserve hell. I deserve damnation. I deserve punishment. I deserve separation. I deserve isolation. But my God is a good and gracious God, and he has given me a gift, and I want to use the gift for his glory, right? Same thing with you. You decide to stop, stop stepping in the spotlight, and what's going to happen is you're making space for God's glory to be demonstrated in your life. When you say, here's a good one. Somebody asks you, I don't know, maybe, maybe try these three words. I don't know. <laughs> there's a good answer. I don't know. But there's a comma after that. I don't know what God does. I don't know but the Lord. He's got you right where he's got you for a reason. Hmm. When you say, I don't know, you create space for God to step in and God to demonstrate his power. I think that may have, been, may have been difficult for Joseph to do 13 years earlier because 13 years early, he was 17 years old, little 17-year-old. Not all of the 17-year-olds are, but he was a 17-year-old little punk is what he was because he's 17 years old and he has this dream and he knows that his family's gonna have to bow before him and rather than saying, God, thank you, oh, honor and glory be to you. What do you want me to do with this dream, God? He goes and tells his brothers, Hey, uh, putzes, here's what's going to happen one day. Fellas, you're going to bow down before me. Y'all can start right now if you want to. I mean, he had this arrogance about him. And so what does God do? God doesn't cause this, but I think God allows it. Could it be that you're in the middle of your 13 years? Because like Joseph, there's a humbling that's going on inside of you. And the sooner you learn the lesson, the easier life is going to be. Oh, that's tough to swallow, Troy. I could have stayed home now. I didn't need to hear that this morning. But it could be. And in this moment, I believe that Joseph could see that God was in control the entire time. For the last 13 years, it's not been wasted. I think his eyes were open. God was bringing him to this place for such a time as this for his purpose to be fulfilled. There's just something that happens when we look back in hindsight in our lives, isn't there? You look back and you think about, I deserve that job. Why did I get that job? That job should have been mine. I don't know how that yay who got that job because I should have got that job. I deserve it. I could have done, I would have. And if you would have got that job, your life might be a whole lot different today and not for the good. That, why did she break up with me? She should have been, that we should have got married. Later on, in hindsight, you look back and go, hallelujah, God, right? Because we were never meant to be together. Y'all follow what I'm talking about? Now, when you're in the middle of it, that's a hard pill to swallow. You're just going to you're just gonna have to trust me. Take my word for it. It's not that God is causing these things. It's that he's not going to waste these things. When I was in grad school uh, working on my master's degree in, in ministry, um, one of the professors challenged us to do an exercise one morning in one of our classes. He said, I want you to reverse engineer your life. And we didn't really know what that meant, but he said, here's what I want you to start with where you're at and then trace it back to how you got there. It was kind of a fun, it was a long drill, so I don't have time to do it all this morning, but, but um, you know, uh, I love New Life very much. I am in love with this church. I love the ministry that God has called us to. We've had several opportunities, and I don't even want to look at anything. I'm not going to because I love this church. I love the direction we're going. I'm all in, okay? But, but how did that happen? How did we get there? Well, without tracing the history of new life, I guess the first thing is I had to decide I was going to be a church planter. But first, I had to figure out a way. Um, I had to put myself in an environment where I'd be challenged by people that would be outside-the-box thinkers because I had never thought about planting a church before. 
So, but first, the place that I found that at, by the way, was Northwest University when I went to my grad school up in Northwest and Seattle area. But first, I had to hear about that school. So, but first, my daughter, Trinity, had to attend that school. And that's how I got to know that school and discovered they had a grad program. But first, before she went off to a ministry school, my daughter had to stay faithful to God through her junior high and senior high years because otherwise she was going to ruin her call. Wasn't going to be able to fulfill that call by going off to Bible college. So that was a big deal. So thank you, Trinity, for that. But first, uh, Trinity had to get a call into ministry, which happened when she was six years old. But first, Trinity had to get saved, which happened when she was three years old, and she hadn't turned back ever since. But first, we, uh, we had to have Trinity, right? My wife and I did. But, fir- well, it, but first, she had to survive because it was a very critical situation with my wife and with Trinity in the hospital. But first, my wife and I had to get married because it's an order you should do, right? But first, my wife and I had to, um, I had to get saved because she ain't going to marry no heathen, right? And so, uh, I, 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 but first, we had to go on a date. But first, I had to ask her out. But first, I had to stalk her at our workplace on the work schedule to make sure she was off on that Friday night before I stopped her on her way out of work to ask her if she would go out with me on a Friday night. <laughs> That's what I did, baby. She had no chance. Actually, she did. She said, let me go check my schedule. So she makes a long walk back to the break room, and she's walking back there. I'm going, yes, I know that she's not working. She's going to date me on this Friday night. This is going to be exciting. And then I started sweating, just beads of sweat. What if she comes back and says, yeah, I've got to work, and I know she doesn't. Then it would be a dagger to my heart. And she comes back and says, I don't have to work, so I guess I'll go out with you, you chump. That's what she said, something like that. And so she went out with me, and I know she didn't want to, but you know, uh, I chased her till she caught me, or she chased me, whatever, one of those things. So it was exciting. But but first, but first, I had to get a job at Kmart because she was housewares and I was stock boy. And but first, she had to get a job at Kmart. I just keep reverse engineering her life. If she hadn't gone through the stuff that she had gone through in the five different foster homes she had, she wouldn't have landed in the last one who said you got to get a job. And the Kmart was the job that was available and God orchestrated. And if I hadn't gone through the things I'd gone through, and we could keep but firsting this, uh, we wouldn't have ended up at Kmart at the same time for only about a 10-month period of time in which we didn't get a lot of work done at Kmart. <laughs> Guys, I'm here to tell you that the reason that New Life Church exists today is because of Kmart. I am so proud of the fact that we met at Kmart that I actually, I forgot to put it on the screen, but I actually have on my camera, my phone, I went and took a picture, a selfie of me and my grandson, because my granddaughter wasn't born yet, uh, in front of Kmart before they closed it in Manteca, because they closed all the Kmart stores, you know, because I just wanted all my kids and my generations after us to remember that, oh, it all started at Kmart. <laughs> if you reverse engineer your life, and you, can, you can all do this, and you do, you look at some of the hardships, the tough, the trials, the difficulties. You look at all the things that maybe you've gone through. So you see what God, you see that God was in the middle of all of it. And you're on a journey, and this journey, guys, is fitting together. And it may not, you might feel like 4,741. What if you threw in the towel then, Joseph? What if you went ahead and hung yourself in jail? What if you did that? You'd have missed out on the miracle we'd have missed out on so much more because Joseph begat and begat 
and begat and begat Jesus. Joseph was faithful in prison and Joseph was faithful in the palace. The one thing you'll never hear from Joseph is this phrase. It's about time. It is about time. It was about time. You'll never hear that from him. Instead, he's thankful. Verse 51, take a look at this. I'm starting to close. Joseph named his firstborn son Manasseh. You're like, what is that big deal? Well, he said it's because God made me forget all my trouble in my, in my, in my father's household. And then uh, the second son he named Ephraim and said it's because God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. You gotta know his firstborn son is... I'm making a mess here, and I stepped in some sort of crud that's now making my shoe stick, and that's just ridiculous. So now, yeah, I'll be that guy. Um, Manasseh, his firstborn son, you got to hear this. Manasseh, uh, uh, his name actually means forget. God makes me forget. You know what I take from that? (laughs) Some of you need to hear that. God can give you the spirit of forgetfulness. God can help you forget your pain. He can help you put that in the past. He can help you put that behind you. You don't have to focus on that anymore. That stuff does not define you anymore. God can give you a new name. And so Joseph decides, I'm gonna, in honor of God, I'm gonna name my firstborn son. He's helped me to forget. He's helped me to put this stuff. This is before he had an opportunity to vindicate himself before his brothers. And secondly, he named his secondborn son um, uh, Ephraim. Why? Because Ephraim means fruitful. You've helped me become fruitful. This is a powerful thing. If you're currently experiencing some level of success, remember God. That's what Joseph does. Don't take credit for it. Yeah, but pastor, I've worked really hard. (laughs) Who gave you the ability to work hard, buddy? Right? But you don't understand, I've gotten some gifts. Well, who gave you those gifts? Who gave you the DNA that you possess today? That was God and God alone. God deserves the glory, the honor, and the credit in your life. He is the one who deserves the recognition not you. So number two, and I'll close with this in about two minutes. Overcoming success means remaining faithful. You gotta be faithful. This is the hard one, guys. Fruits of the Spirit, love. We love that one. Joy, peace. We love peace. Patience, yes. You know, it's difficult, but we all appreciate patience. Uh, Love, joy, peace, kindness. We like kindness. Goodness, gentleness, yeah, we like gentle people. Self-control, yes, we know we gotta control ourselves. Faithful, I know what that's one that we in our Western culture struggle with. You can't hardly find someone to be faithful anymore. So I'm challenging the church to be faithful. Overcoming your success means remaining faithful. You see, Joseph never changed his definition, not one time, of what success was throughout his entire life. He didn't become successful and say, okay, now I've got power. Now I've got influence. Now I've got wealth. I've got the gold chain around my neck. I've got the the sports chariot in the driveway. (laughs) He he never said that. He didn't do that. That's not how it went. Instead, Joseph discovered success when he determined to remain faithful to God. You want to know when when I believe Joseph got success? In the bottom of the cistern. When he was had the thunder beat out of him by his brothers, thrown down to the bottom of the thing, he had to make a decision. Am I gonna be angry and bitter and calloused? Am I gonna be vengeful and hateful the rest of my life? Or am I gonna cry out to God? And am I gonna remain faithful to the Lord? And I think it was a journey. I don't think it's instantaneous, but it was a journey in his life, and he proved that he could remain faithful to God. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 25 about a story about a master who leaves on a trip. When he leaves on a trip, he leaves some money to his three servants. He gives some to this one, some to this one, some to this one. 
the first two servants, they invest the money, and when the master returns, they give him back the money plus all the, int- or the, the money they had earned on the investment. The master, the Bible says, is pleased. But the third one, he's afraid of being unsuccessful. And so he takes the money and he hides it, he buries it in the ground. When the master comes back, he unburies it, he hands the treasure back to the master and says, you know what, I didn't get anything, I didn't make anything for it, but you know, here's, I didn't lose any of it either. You gotta give me that one. So here's back, here's back the treasure that you gave to me. And the master was so mad. Jesus is speaking of himself here, of God. The master is so mad that he had this guy thrown into outer darkness where it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do not misunderstand. This is not about money. This is about your life. God has given you your life and he has said, you invest it. You better make a difference for who? For you? For your dream? No, sir. Because you're gonna give an account to the master and the master is gonna come and he's gonna say, what'd you do with what I gave you? And if you hide that thing, if you live for yourself, if you bury that thing, you're gonna be cast into outer darkness. It's gonna be very displeased. But if you invest your life for the king, what does he say? What does he say to those two servants? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Well done, good and faithful servant. Earlier I asked you to define success. Well, there's no right answer. I'd like you to consider this as a definition for success. Success is standing before God and hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. That's what success is. That's what we keep our eyes on. That's who we're living for, an audience of one, Jesus Christ, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And in order to hear those words, you better be aiming at the right target. You better not be aiming one lane over. Not going for your dream. You're going for God's dream. You want to know what I found in my life? The closer I get to God, this is my dream, this is God's dream, the closer I get to God, those dreams meld and they become one dream. I want what God wants. God wants what I want because he's given me desires in my heart he will enable me to see those desires come to fruition. Can someone say amen? So the question is simply this, what are you aiming at? What are you aiming at? What's your target? Your dream or God's dream? What's it going to be? I decided I want to close this gathering a little differently. So forgive me for the hokiness. Can you forgive me in advance for the hokey thing I'm going to do? But it's not hokey. My wife and I watched a great movie. I recommend it, not for your children, but I recommend it. It's called 12 Strong. Anybody seen that movie before? It's a great movie. Chris Hemsworth's in it. It's about the, it's about the, when, after 9-11, they were going after the Taliban, and it's a true story. We like true story films. Part of the film, and it doesn't really matter, part of the film, um, there's, a, there's an international s- sign, an international symbol for when you want to give up, when you want to surrender. What, what do we have to do if we're going to say we're going to surrender? What do we do? Yeah, you wave, wave the white flag, right? Wave the white flag. I mean, it's every, doesn't matter what language you speak, doesn't matter where you're from, everybody knows universally that you wave, you wave the white flag. Well, New Life Church, our budget's small, so we don't have white flags, but what we do have is tissues. <laughs> so so here's, here's what I've decided I want to do for this, uh, the end of this gathering, and I'm going to ask someone if they help me out and go to my office and get one more box, please. Thank you so much, because um, they used them in the last gathering. There's a lot of people. I just want you to take this and uh, think about your life 
I know it sounds hokey, but just listen to me. Nothing's hokey if everybody does it. Think about your life. There's probably an area, a slice of the pie, that, that, that you're, you're keeping control over. This is an area, God, that I, I'm safer in my hands than it is in yours. And that is a ridiculous statement, isn't it? Because there is everything safer in God's hands than it is in ours. So I think there's probably something that you need to surrender today. And so the Spirit of the Lord prompted me as I was doing this message, preparing this message. And I, I, even, I even highlighted it on the last page, raise the white flag to challenge you to come to the altar. And if you want to stay at the altar, that's great. If you want to go back to your seat, that's fine too. Come to the altar. Take a step of faith. Take a tissue. And think about that one thing. As Trent's going to lead us in the song, think about that one or two things that you have, you're really struggling to surrender. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's your, maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're struggling, you're struggling to surrender that relationship. Maybe you can't surrender your children. Maybe you can't surrender your, your grandchildren. Maybe you can't surrender your, your, your job that you're in right now. I don't know what it is. Maybe you can't surrender that, that, that sin that so easily entangles, that's holding you back. And I want you to surrender it. Not because I said so, because it's so much better in God's hands than it is in, in your hands. I mean it. Some of you are just going to be like, you know, like this, uh, which is fine. But some of you need to be like, oh, God, I want you to know that I surrender. I give up. I have held this on. Wait, I can't go on. I, I give up. you got to give up. Because what you're doing is not working. And it starts with surrender. We can help you, but it starts with surrender. So as she begins to sing, I'm just going to ask everybody to get out of their chair. Make your way forward. Get a tissue. Think about what it is, whatever it is. Just, just wave it up to God and say, God, I'm, if I wave the white flag, I'm safe. Would you come? I'm safe, God. I'm safe, God. Hallelujah. Think about whatever it is. This is a leash that every time I, I try to go forward, it's, it's choking me out. It's pulling me back. And I want to move forward today, God. So today, I, I surrender my success, my dreams, God. My, my dream needs to go so your dream can be fulfilled. God, make your dreams my dreams. God, help me. Help me to live for you and not for me. Help me to set aside my selfishness and my selfish desires, God, so that, so that I can serve you. I give up today. I give up today. All of the shortcomings, all of the sin that so easily entangles. 
I give to you today, God, me, all of me. I'm not going to hold anything back. I give it to you today, God, fresh and anew. Jesus, hallelujah. Sing it with me. I can face tomorrow. Hallelujah. Because he lives, Jesus. Oh, fear is gone. Hallelujah. Life is worth the living. Yes, God. Just because He lives. Hallelujah. Lord, we surrender it all to you. We say thank you for meeting us where we're at. And God, we even want to say thank you for the 13 years that we spent in the dungeon. Because, Lord, you've taught us. You didn't cause it, but you've allowed it to, you've used it to put us in a place that in an instant, life can turn around. And for some of us, we've experienced that instant. For others, they're still still in the prison. So I ask in Jesus' name, God, that you would help us learn what we need to learn. Help us grow in the areas we need to grow so that we can experience greater freedom. God, so that you can put us in a position, oh God, that we can see thousands upon thousands of people be saved. Because ultimately, that's the destiny you had for Joseph and I believe that's the destiny you have for each one of us so we give you praise in the surrender in Jesus name in Jesus name can you say amen amen and amen give the Lord a hand clap this morning come on now you can clap with a tissue too come on now hallelujah praise God praise God praise God Praise God. You know, ivory soap is 99 and 44% pure. Did you know that? They used to advertise that. That was on their commercials. We're the soap that's 99 and 44% pure. Let me tell you something. The minimum standard for soap in the United States of America to be considered soap is 99 and 44 100s. So they were advertising and they trademarked that statement that no other soap could say about themselves because they trademarked it. But it actually was the minimum standard. I'm not satisfied with the minimum standard in my life. I don't want to be 99 and 44, 100% pure before God. I want to be pure before God. Can someone say amen? So don't, don't take anything back home with you. You just surrendered it. So when the devil starts whispering in your ear, you still got the thing, you need to, you need to remind him of his future, right? You're already a d- d- defeated foe. You've got no authority over me. And you're just accusing me of my sins, but I already surrendered it to God. Put your hope and faith and trust in God, and he will not disappoint. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. God bless you, New Life Church. Have a great Sunday. You are dismissed. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God.